Let's say another amen for the choir. Wasn't that a blessing? It makes me think I can't wait to get to heaven. If you sing like this now, imagine what heaven is going to be like. I'm looking forward to being there. For all of you that might be guests visiting for the first time, and maybe we might have some members who probably weren't here over the past two to three weeks. Pastor Chad has been doing a sermon series entitled Words Matter. Words Matter. And if you weren't here for that sermon series, I encourage you to go back onto YouTube, onto our YouTube channel, so you can watch those sermons. In part one of his sermon series, it was entitled, Right in the Sand, Don't Drag Through the Mud. And he shared the story of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery and how Jesus used his words not to condemn her, but to restore her. And the admonition for us is that our words should be used not to condemn, not to bring shame, but to bring restoration. In part two of this sermon series, he spoke from the topic, speak on these things. And in that message, we learned that it's not just enough for us to just speak good words, but for our good words to be authentic, we need to invite Jesus into our hearts so that words that we then speak are truly authentic words. And last week, he spoke from the topic, the words that matter most. And there we learned and examined the many ways in which God speaks to us. He speaks to us through nature. He speaks to us through music. He speaks to us through individuals. But what we also learned is that he speaks to us through the scripture because it's the scripture that provides the revelation of who he is, and that's what matters most. And today when I realized that I was gonna now conclude this sermon series and I pray and I said, God, what is the message that you want me to share with your people? And as always, he gives me a message for me because I have to be convicted of the message first before I can share it with you with conviction. And the Spirit laid a word on my heart, which I have entitled, Words Matter, a Spirit-Filled Witness. Words Matter, a Spirit-Filled Witness. Let us pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your blessings. I thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people and worthy as I am to share this message that you laid on my heart. And I pray, God, that for everyone who is in this congregation, everyone who is watching online, who will ever see this sermon, that it would touch them in the same way that it has touched me. Speak to our hearts, Lord. And when we leave this place, may we be a bit closer to you than when we came. So I ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in my sight, because you are my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Words matter, a spirit-filled witness. Now, at some point in your life, if you haven't gotten there already, you will get to the point where you ask yourself the question, what am I on this earth for? What is my purpose? Now, these thoughts usually tend to come to us after we've probably accomplished a few goals. Those of us who wanted to go to college or to pursue additional education, then we get to the point where we're like, well, what am I really here for? Or maybe in our career, we get to the pinnacle of where we want to be, and then we say, well, is this it? What is my purpose in this life? 
Maybe some of us want to start a business and you start the business and everything is going the way you had planned. And now you're grappling with, well, what am I here for? What is my purpose? We usually get to that point when we accomplish some of our goals, but we also get to that point when we have setbacks in life. Some of us have experienced divorce. Some of us have experienced the loss of a loved one. Some of us are grappling with a medical illness that we didn't expect. Some of us are grappling with job loss. And when these things happen, we get to the point where we ask ourselves the question, what am I here for? What truly is my purpose in this life? And as we grapple with this question, the Word of God helps to give us some clarity on what our purpose actually is. There is a clear mandate by Jesus that was given to us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. This is known as the Great Commission where the Bible says to us, go ye therefore and teach all nations. How many nations? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So if you're not sure of what your purpose is in this life as a Christian, the message could not get any clearer. We've got to go, we've got to teach, we've got to baptize. The purpose for every single believer is to be a witness for Christ. We are called to be the salt of the earth. We are called to be the light of the world. Now, that doesn't mean that God is telling everyone, like he did to me, to leave your job, leave your career, and go off to the seminary, because we need people in various fields and various aspects of life. But what he is saying to us is that in everything that we do, we need to be a witness for him. If you are a student, be a witness. If you are on your job, be a witness. If you are retired, be a witness. In every aspect of our life, we need to be a witness. Now, there's two major ways, there's others, but two primary ways in which we can be a witness. And one of those ways is through our actions. And people often like actions because sometimes people say words and their actions don't match up with the words. So they want to see the actions. Our actions is one way. But another primary way is by our words. The words that we speak in our witness matters. The words that we speak have influence. The words that we speak in our witness can lead people to eternal life or can lead them to eternal damnation. This is why the Bible says to us, clearly in the book of Proverbs, that life and death lie in the power of the tongue. So I say to you this morning, knowing that our primary purpose in this life is to be a witness, knowing that our words is a major tool for how we should witness, knowing that the words that we speak matter, and knowing that we need to be careful in how we use our words, I want you to ponder on this question. What do your words what do your words reveal about your witness? What does it actually say? Do you witness so that others can hear 
who you are? Do you witness so they can see how intelligent you are in being able to understand the Bible? Or do you witness for the hearer to truly understand and be drawn closer to Christ? This is the question that we must ponder as we listen to this message. The Apostle Paul, arguably one of the greatest witnesses for the cause of Christ, gives some insight to us about witnessing. And I want you to turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, and I will read it in your hearing. And the Bible says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. And in verse five, it's bringing everything to a conclusion as to the, why did he utter these words? Why did he make this statement? And in verse five, the Bible says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, our witness is not to show others how smart we are or how intellectual we are, but it's supposed to stand in the power of God. Now, as I read this text, I found myself grappling with, well, how did Paul get to the point where he was uttering these words? How and what was it that made him actually say this? Here it is that he was a man that had traveled to various cities and witnessed to all types of people. He witnessed to the churched. He witnessed to the unchurched. He witnessed to those who professed to be churched. He witnessed to the educated, the uneducated, the wealthy, the poor. You name it, Paul witnessed to all of them. And clearly in this passage, he is now giving a very direct and specific in the use of his words. See, while there is understanding that the words that we speak matter in our witness, there is an indication from this text that Paul is saying to us that it's not the excellency of our speech, it's not the theological prowess of our teaching or our preaching that's going to bring people to Christ. The power is in the Spirit of God. Where is the power? The power is in the Spirit of God. We must be Spirit-filled in our witness. Paul makes it very, very clear that the goal of our witness is not to show how eloquent we are. It's not to show how smart we are. Our goal is to ensure that our witness through the power of God is evident. My friends and my family here of Spencerville, this type of witness that I speak of, this type of witness that Paul is speaking of can only be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want you to walk away thinking to yourself that there's no place in our witness for theological prowess or for understanding the Bible in an in-depth way. Again, for me, as I read it, I had to grapple with this text. I thought to myself, well, after I just spent 
a few semesters learning Greek and learning Hebrew, which I must tell you really brought me to a humbling place, is there now no space in my witness for me to share and unpack what I learned? Is there no space in my witness for, for me to share about my academic learning? Has all of that gone to naught? Is that what Paul is saying? That is not what Paul is saying. See, when Paul uttered the words that he spoke in our sermonic text, he was witnessing to the people of Corinth. See, Paul, he witnessed to real people in real cities who were dealing with real issues. And it's the same thing for us in our witness. We are going to deal with real people in real cities and towns with real issues. And because we're dealing with people with real issues, we have to prayerfully decide, well, how are we going to approach them in our witness? To tell you a little bit more about this city called Corinth, Corinth wasn't just any type of city. See, in every large city, there's often a place where there are prostitutes and strippers and gang members and drug dealers. Corinth in the ancient world was such a city. The people worshipped money and most of their focus was on the pleasures of life. This city had all types of cultures. It reminds me a little bit about the city where I came from, New York City. There were Jews, there were Greeks, there were Egyptians, there were Orientals, there were sailors, there were athletes, there were slaves, you name it. Everyone was in the city of Corinth. And Paul realized that his words really mattered and how he was going to witness to these people. In order for him to reach them, he would have to speak the right words, words that would reach them. And the only way that he would be able to do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, understanding the state of the dead was not going to reach this crowd. Understanding all the prophecies of Daniel was not going to reach this crowd in Corinth. The sanctuary doctrine was not going to reach this crowd in Corinth. Only Jesus Christ and him crucified would reach the people of Corinth. See, Paul, he had to pivot in his words. He had to pivot in the way in which he witnessed before coming to Corinth. For us to fully understand why did he say this in Corinth, we have to take a step back to the city that he witnessed to before. And that city was the city called Athens, Athens, Greece. So just before Paul came to Corinth, he was witnessing in Athens. And Athens was a city that was very different than Corinth. It had a very different type of vibe. One of the things that Paul immediately noticed in Athens is that there were idols everywhere. These people worshipped all types of gods except for the true and living God. The other thing that Paul realized about the people of Athens is that they were very intellectual. This was the birthplace of Aristotle. This was the birthplace of many well-known philosophers. And Paul recognized that in order for him to reach the people of Athens, he needed to speak on their level. He had to to be able to speak in a way that they would understand. He had to get enmeshed in their culture to be able to reach them. And it's the same thing for us, for us to experience the impact in our witness, 
for us to truly be the salt of the world, we have to immerse ourselves with our community. If you think about it, what is the value of salt if it's in your cupboard? The only point at which you truly recognize the benefit of this salt is if you're eating some food and it tastes a little bit bland, you sprinkle some salt, you mix it all together, and then it has a better taste. For us to be the salt of the earth, we have to mingle with our community. And that's exactly what Paul did in the town of Athens. He walked around, he mingled with the people, and he shared knowledge of the God that he knew personally. Matter of fact, in the book, Acts of the Apostles, Ellen G. White says this, and I quote, she says the philosophers in Athens recognized that Paul had a store of knowledge that was greater than them. His intellectual power commanded the respect of the learned, while his earnest logical reasoning and the power of his oratory held the attention of all in the audience. His hearers recognized that he was no novice, but that he was able to meet all classes. How many classes? He was able to meet all classes with convincing argument in support of the doctrines that he taught. The Apostle Paul, he stood undaunted, meeting his opposers on their own ground. And the quote says that he matched logic with logic. He matched philosophy with philosophy. He matched eloquence with eloquence. Because of Paul's witness in the town, he was now invited to this area within Athens called Mars Hill. And Mars Hill was the place, the meeting place, where there were discussions on philosophy and religion and the law were all discussed there. See, Paul witnessed so effectively in his town that the people wanted to hear more about this doctrine that he was speaking. Could you imagine, Spencerville, if as a result of your witness in your community that you were now asked to go before Congress to share about your beliefs? This is what happened to Paul. So I could imagine now Paul thinking about, well, what am I going to say when I go to present to these people? And we can all admit that this now was a great opportunity for him in his witness. So knowing his audience, Paul preached an eloquent, a logically sound sermon. He used his intellect to, to connect with them in a way that they could understand. And while the people were really impressed with his sermon, they were impressed with his delivery, to the point where when I actually visited Greece and went to Mars Hill, you see a carving of the words that he spoke there. But while they were impressed, many of them were not led to surrender their lives to the gospel. Now, some theologians debate over whether or not, was this an epic fail for Paul in his ministry because many people were not converted? But I say, as I pray and I thought about it, I said, but Paul knew that his witness was spirit-filled. Even if there was one person that was converted, there was power in his witness. It's the same thing in what Jesus does for us. He would come to this earth if it was just for one of us. So we can't look at the numbers to determine if our witness was successful. 
The Bible says to us in Acts 17, verse 34, but there were some men, so even though many did not convert, there were some men that joined him and believed. And among those was one by the name of Dionysius and a woman by the name of Damaris. And there were a whole bunch of others that were with them. And what's interesting about this man, Dionysius, this was no small victory. You see, Dionysius, he was one of the 12 judges in Athens who ruled the land. He was well known throughout Athens and throughout all of Greece. And in fact, it was later said about him that he became so rooted in the faith that he was eventually named as the bishop of the church at Athens and then died a martyr's death. All from the influence of Paul's witness. This same Paul that used intellect and wisdom in Athens is the same Paul that stated in Corinthians, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but demonstration of the spirit and of power. This is what he spoke in Corinth. So now when you contrast these two experiences, the approach of Paul in Athens and the approach of him in Corinth, you might be wondering to yourself, as I did, well, is he being inconsistent in his witness? Why is it that he said one thing over here and used one approach in Athens and now he's using something totally different that would almost appear contradictory in Corinth? But Paul, he was consistent in his witness because both of his witnesses, he was spirit-filled. What was he? He was spirit-filled. The words that we use in our witness matter. And this is exactly why we need to be spirit-filled. See, when we are under the influence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he will direct us on how we should use our words. The way you witness to an atheist is not the same way that you would witness to a believer. The way you witness to an educated person is not the same way that you would witness to an uneducated person. The way you witness to someone who is affluent is not the same way you're going to witness to someone that is poor. But how do you get to the point where you're able to now distinguish, well, what words should I use? It's praying diligently for the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit will tell you when to talk about the importance of Sabbath-keeping versus speaking about the love of Jesus. The Spirit will tell you when to talk about God's grace and mercy versus when to talk about judgment. The Spirit will guide you on what do you actually say to the person whose loved one has died and they believe that that person has gone to heaven. Many of us, if we're not careful, we use that moment to try to correct them. But if we had a spiritful witness, God would guide us directly on what the words we should use. See, our words matter. There are many individuals who have lost the privilege of knowing Jesus in the way that they should because of the words that we use, because the words that we use were not spirit-filled. Now, throughout Paul's ministry, you will notice that his choice of words and his approach change depending on who he encountered. 
And the reason for that is because he was spirit-led. He knew that the words that he spoke mattered. He knew that it was important for his witness, in his witness, to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. And this is why he said these words later on in Corinthians. He says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. He says, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might save some. And why is he doing this? He says, I do this for the gospel's sake. His words mattered, and he realized that for his words to have the influence and the power that it needed to have in his witness, he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When I was a little girl, I was very close to my maternal grandmother. Her name was Dorcas Marshall. And as a child growing up, I thought she was the smartest woman on the planet. She was always encouraging people. She was always imparting words of wisdom. People would come to her and ask her opinion about what they should do about various things. People of all ages would come to her. And I just knew she was so smart. And when I got older, I then learned that my grandmother, who I thought was so smart, she only had a third grade education. She was still smart. But it said to me, well, how is it that this woman, I had to grapple with it, how is it that this woman who only had a third grade education, how was she able to stand before anyone, regardless of their status, regardless of their title, and speak with such confidence? How was she able to do this? How was she able to boldly witness to others about God without fear or intimidation? She never went to the seminary. She never learned how to parse Greek and Hebrew. But you know how? She prayed daily for the Holy Spirit. The effectiveness of her witness wasn't based on academics. It was based on the power of the Holy Spirit. She used to always tell me, pray for the Spirit, pray for the Spirit. And I heard her words, yes, Grandma, pray for the Spirit, pray for the Spirit. But I must admit to you, it was only after her death, she's been deceased probably about 13 years now, that I really began to understand what she meant and why she always said, pray for the Spirit. It is the Spirit, Sprinterville family, it is the Spirit choir that provides the power in our witness no matter how eloquent our speech, no matter our academic prowess, no matter the depth of our biblical knowledge, without the leading of the Holy Spirit, our witness lacks power. It is only the Spirit that can guide our words for us to be a Spirit-filled witness. I want you to remember these three things as we close off this sermon series. Accept that your purpose 
in this life as a believer is to witness for Christ. Yes, you will do other things, pursue your careers, but the primary purpose is for you to be a witness for Christ. The second thing I want you to remember is to pray daily for the Holy Spirit. How often? Pray daily for the Holy Spirit. And the third and the last thing I want you to remember as we close off this sermon series, Words Matter, speak only the words as directed by the Holy Spirit. Speak only those words. God is calling on us, Spencerville Church. He's calling on us to be a spirit-filled witness. There is a mighty work that he wants to do in our lives. There is a mighty work that he wants to do in our family. There is a mighty work that he wants to do in our school, in our church, and in this community. But he needs for us to yield to the Holy Spirit. Our words matter. Our words shouldn't now be dependent on our intellect and our theological prowess. And I hope you understand that I'm not saying that those are bad things, they're good things. But it needs to be in submission to the Holy Spirit. We've got to depend on the Spirit. When we depend on the Spirit, then the words that we speak will impact the life of the hearer. So maybe you are here today. You weren't sure what this message was gonna be about. And you're recognizing that you want your witness to be spirit-filled. You want your witness to have more power. You want to learn more about who is this Holy Spirit and how does this spirit work. There's a connect card in your bulletin. You can fill it out. Because as a pastoral staff, we want to meet with you. We want to pray with you to help you to learn and to understand more. Maybe you want to, to, to know more about this Holy Spirit and you want prayers today, I'd like to meet with you after the service, right over here by the organ, to pray with you. Because God wants to do a mighty work through us. The same Holy Spirit that influenced the witness of Paul, the same Holy Spirit that influenced the witness of my grandmother who had a third grade education, the same Spirit who laid this message on my heart today wants to be the same spirit that will influence your witness. Do you want to be an effective witness for Jesus? Do you want to be? I encourage you to pray for the Holy Spirit so that your witness can be a spirit-filled witness. And then, and only then, will your words truly matter and you'll see the power of the influence. May God bless you.